right, so you know you should be training, you're not really sure where to start, and you're looking for some help. Don't worry. Set Up Stronger Podcast has your back. As always, I'm Coach Jordan, and today we're, we are joined by Greg, Coach Greg, and uh, we're going to talk about everything training for volleyball players. So we're going to talk about some myths and misconceptions, how to categorize your training, what elements you should probably include or maybe not include, and a whole bunch of other stuff. There's a ton of good takeaways, as always, so let's dive into it. So, Greg, for those of you, for those of us who are, you know, unworthy and haven't uh, been exposed to your content yet, who are you? Yeah, my name is Greg Hersig. Um, I am the volleyball strength coach on Instagram. Um, I have been just kind of in the strength conditioning world for a while and the volleyball world um, even longer. So um, if we want to kind of start with that, I can just kind of go through that background and kind of give people a little information here. Yeah. Well, really quickly before we get into that, I'm just more mad at you than anything else because you have a much more catchy username on uh, Instagram than I do. Side out stronger is, you know, it's getting there, but the volleyball strength coach is just, it's perfect. So, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that actually used to be when I first started that page, it was the bar league strength coach. And oh. I was going to um, kind of do more because, you know, when I created that, that idea for that page, I was living in Wisconsin. And it's a volleyball is a very bar league sport there. Mm -hmm. So I figured um, I would kind of get into sort of my age group of people. So not necessarily training like younger volleyball players, but, you know, people my age, like in their 20s, 30s, 40s who are playing in bar leagues and make it more focused towards that. But then when I kind of redid the page um, last September, a year ago, I wanted it to be a little bit more inclusive and not like like I wanted to niche, but like not niche myself that much, yeah. um, that I, that I left all of the like high school and college players, like kind of out of the, the realm of it. So, um, well, it seems like that was just kind of the obvious next choice. Yeah. You've been doing a good job with it because your, your content's very all encompassing, which is lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Anyways, I'm going to stop cutting you off. <laughs> Go for it. Um, yeah. So just my background, um, I started playing volleyball in seventh grade playing CYO, which is like little kids church league. Nice. Um, both of my parents played a lot of volleyball. My dad is still uh, does a lot of refereeing um, for high school, college club. And uh, so he, he got me involved. My parents really got me involved. Um, and then I played through high school. So I did have a boys high school team. Um, got some all state honors with that. And then ended up going to play division one for ball state university um, played my four years there. And while I was there, I got my undergraduate in exercise science and I actually stayed there for two more years and got my master's degree in sports performance. Um, so I could really kind of just dial into training athletes. Um, after that, I actually took like three years off from playing volleyball. I was just a mess after playing college. Um, I really wanted to get into CrossFit because I really took up Olympic lifting while I was training for volleyball. Mm -hmm. So I did CrossFit and competed in weightlifting for about three years and then started playing a little bit of like sand fours. And um, that's about when I moved back to Cleveland. Now I mostly play doubles and I, I'm determined this year to get back into playing a little bit of indoor sixes. I went through a few calf injuries. Um, so the one I've been posting about recently is actually my second one. Um, and that's kept me out of the indoor game for a while, but. Yeah, I've basically just been training athletes for a long time. Um, been a personal trainer about 10 years now. And just through various things, through like just sports performance, you know, general population, training middle school kids, um, training D1 athletes, and, you know, just kind of a good full spectrum of a lot of experiences that I'm now just kind of culminating together into what I'm doing through Instagram. And for those of you that follow along that uh, base their recommendations off lifting clout, we just saw that Greg snatched 300 pounds. So that's all you need to know, really. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the, uh, that was probably the best day of my, my lifting career. Even though I did snatch 305 later, there's a big backstory to that first time where mm -hmm. it was like, I was, that was my last workout at my first CrossFit gym. Like the last, you know, I was, I was leaving, I was moving to Wisconsin um, and I set a goal that I would snatch 300 pounds before I left. And it was kind of my last chance. So um, it was, it was pretty wild. That was a Got good time. It. No, that's awesome. And so what, uh, what are you up to now? And how did that, that transition into 
from athlete to uh, transitional to what you're doing now look like? Yeah. So I am actually a full-time personal trainer. Mm -hmm. So I work at a lifetime um, about a half an hour from me and I wasn't doing a ton with athletes. Like it's always kind of, you know, been in there, but that's just what I had been doing for a few years. And then when um, everything got shut down, all the gyms got shut down. I opened up and started building my home gym so that I could continue to train some of my clients who were willing to come over and see me. And then we would train at my place. And then that's when I started to get the idea of like bringing this page up and just starting to get the content out to the volleyball players. So now I work um, from like seven in the morning until like two in the morning, I'm at lifetime. And then I come home and have a little bit of time. And then in the evenings I train either clients at my house or I go to uh, the college that I work at and I train the athletes there. Yeah. Very cool. So you get a nice wide breadth of uh, influences, right? You get to help the general population. We get to really dial in with the, uh, the athletes. Absolutely. And it's people don't really realize like how much crossover there really is mm-hmm. um, where it's like, there's not that much different that I do with my volleyball players that I don't do with my general population outside of like the plyometrics. Like most people, they don't really need to jump that much, you know, but um, all the knees over toe stuff, all of the compound movement stuff, like just getting really strong. And, you know, if I'm working with people's and people in their thirties, forties, fifties, they probably have injuries and then they definitely want to prevent, you know, knee pain, back pain, things like that. So we do a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, totally. I always, I always kind of chuckle to myself when somebody comes to me the first time, they're like, I need, or the, the funnier version is my kid needs a very specific volleyball training program and they're 14 and they never trained before. I'm like, do they really? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, and we'll get into that. I'm sure today. Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's get into it. Um, Greg and I have this rough outline that we want to talk about, and I've given him full permission to go through any tangent for as deep as we want. So we're, we're going to strap in and see where this thing goes. Um, first question that we should address, why should volleyball players even train? What's the, what's the point? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things. I, I had this question asked me on my Instagram story. Um, and it was like something that was, it was such like a general question that I guess I never really put it out there before. Like, why is any of this even important? So I started to just kind of lift off the benefit, list off the benefits. Um, and when we're looking at volleyball, it's not necessarily looked at as like a sport. You have to be super strong, but you do need to be strong enough to be able to move your own body weight uh, really well. So just increasing strength through that. The resistance training is also going to help prevent injury. So, you know, the stronger the connective tissue gets, the less likely it is to get injured the more force it can take on jumping and and probably more important on landing. And then obviously I think the other big benefit that people look for is the increased power output. So when you do an effective weightlifting program, you're going to be able to put more force into the floor. That means you're going to be able to jump higher. That means you're going to be able to hit harder. Um, It's all just that power output aspect. And then on top of the injury prevention and then the longevity aspect, I know some other things I mentioned in the post were like, better sleep, better hormone profiles. Um, and to be honest, like you, you end up looking better, right? Especially if you're a beach volleyball player, you know, for guys, our sport exists with our shirt off and, you know, for the girls they're in, you know, uh, the like sports bras and like shorts and like you get that aesthetic appeal as well, where that's kind of important. You know, if you play a sport with your shirt off, like you want to look good. Um, but basically getting stronger injury prevention, you jump higher, you hit harder, You can increase your mobility and your flexibility through a good resistance training program. So it just, I mean, long story short, it just makes you a better volleyball player. Yeah. And I think just to double down on that and all, all of those great points is that this isn't just, and you know, those of you that are on like listening to this and have listened to the rest of them, you know, this, but we're not just talking about young athletes. We're talking about 30, 40, 50, 60 year old uh, volleyball players that want to be, powerful, strong, but sustainable athletes for life, right? It's not just about how, how good can you be back in the day? It's how long can you play? Um, how long can you keep enjoying the sport you love and all that kind of stuff? And the only other thing that I really wanted to make super uh, prevalent or anyways, is the, the mental health aspect when it comes to training, because especially with the kind of older demographics that 
you know, they play and they want to be lifelong athletes. Sometimes you need to develop yourself in different ways and dealing with things like anxiety, uh, job uh, stress, life stress, kids stress, and just the reality of you kind of need to make your own goals moving forward past high school and past college. I think that's massive to say, Hey, I've got this new goal. I want to squat more weight. I want to deadlift more weight. I want it, whatever it is, nail it, have an objective measure of say, Hey, I did this. I put in the work. I get to see the objective out, um, output and then moving on to the next thing. And I think that's a really powerful and underappreciated part. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. Awesome. All right. So everybody train. We just, we just solved a lot of problems with the world. Um, so Greg, when it comes to training, when people, you know, walk in the gym for the first time or try to make their own program or whatever it is, um, what are some common mistakes that people make? Cause there's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, I would say probably the number one, and because this is the most influence we get is, um, trying to train like a bodybuilder. Mm. So if you are, trying to train to be an athlete, trying to do body part splits, like, you know, chest and tries back and buys, you know, that it's just not going to give you the same stimulus as training full body workouts that are meant for athletes. Now, that being said, like, if you're a high school kid, who's never worked out before, you'll still get results from that. Like, it'll still be beneficial. It just might not be as beneficial as a structured athlete program. And then as you go through and kind of progress away from that, because that's probably where, I mean, that's how I started, you know, oh, yeah. you see like men's health and men's fitness and, you know, muscle and fitness, and they give you the, the bodybuilder splits. Like a lot of people started that way, but then you just have to kind of progress from there to things that are going to be a little bit more, just conducive to your goals. So I would say that's probably the number one mistake is just um, following a bodybuilding type program or another big mistake would just be not following a program at all and just going in and like doing whatever you feel like. Cause eventually you get to a point where you don't feel like doing anything. So like <laughs> most days, what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you're not obviously getting the progressive overload. You're not getting all of those things that are actually going to get you the progress. You're just kind of going and, you know, doing some stuff and moving and, and that's great, but it's not going to be super beneficial for any kind of long-term goal. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love the little qualifier at the end because People, people kind of fall on both sides of the pendulum, right? Some people will not train whatsoever unless it's perfectly efficient and it's the exact, it's the exact thing I need to be doing. The other side of it is other people will just always just go in to enjoy it, which is, you know, they're fine, but something is always better than nothing, a hundred percent. But if the question is, how can I get the most out of it? Then we need to go down these rabbit holes. Like, I don't want to people to have this idea of, okay, well, if you do this, if you do a bro split, it's going to hurt. You're still going to get a ton of benefit, like Greg said, but you know, there are things that uh, you can use your time better for. So I always like to make that a little distinction. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would just build on, again, what Greg's saying here is when I think of these, these big fundamental full body days or full body sessions, it's, prioritizing things like squats, deadlifts, presses, pulls. We're not just talking about sitting there doing curls or just a whole bunch of lap pull downs or anything like that. Again, nothing wrong with it, but you can get more bang for your buck for sure. Love it. All right. What else we got? Greg? What other common mistakes do people make? Um, not squatting with your knees over your toes. Hey, um, we dipped into it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, I, I would kind of circle back to what you just said, which is like focusing on isolation exercises um, and not understanding the benefits of the compound movements. I think I, I've noticed kind of a swing lately on social media where like squatting is like cool right now. Mm -hmm. Like even for like the aesthetic community, like the bodybuilding community, like squatting is like a cool thing. And I've recently noticed that sumo deadlifts are like a cool thing right now, which is, yeah, which is cool. Like I'm, oh, yeah. I'm down with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm a lot it. stronger. Yeah. When I train both, I'm a lot stronger in sumo. I think it's just because my legs are so long and I'm a stronger squatter. Um, I'm better at sumo. So like Go for it. five years ago, it was like demonized. I think Dom Mazzetti had a little bit to do with that um, with his bro science life <laughs> yeah, videos. It's amazing. But uh, amazing. yeah, it's like, like I was on the platform. So my gym has 
Um, actually 10 Alico weightlifting platforms and squat racks. It's, it's pretty awesome. There's five in a row. And I think three people were sumo deadlifting at the same time while I was over there. That's I was cool. like, all right, cool. Here for Sweet. It. But yeah, just focusing on um, too much on the isolation movements. Um, like if you want to jump higher, doing a bunch of leg extensions probably won't do much for you. Um, not as much as squatting will for sure. Yeah. So, um, and then one thing that's maybe a little bit more on the detailed side, which I think we'll get to is only focusing on bilateral movements, mm. um, especially a sport like volleyball, like it exists and as a unilateral, it's everything is one-sided. Even when you're jumping, the forces that are applied to your hips, ankles, and knees are all different from one leg to the other. So, mm. um, I'll do a lot of unilateral work um, for my volleyball clients. We don't even do bilateral squatting for like at, at a minimum a month into them training. Cause we just got to rebalance a lot of stuff before we do that. Yeah. I like it. Um, and what I can hear the, the contentions in my brain from the, like the people that aren't exposed to this stuff yet. And it's, well, Craig, I don't want to become a powerlifter. So, you know, why would I do squats and deadlifts to which we say, it's not about how much you can lift necessarily. It's gaining the total body strength and coordination that'll transfer into volleyball better than doing these isolation exercises. I don't really, I don't care if you squat 300 pounds. I, I care that we start at some point and we get you stronger. So yeah. definitely. Yeah. I'm actually doing kind of an experiment right now where I'm not lifting any more than my own weight and additional load. So even today I did back squats um, and I had body weight on the bar. Now I did add bands. Like I'm not counting my band tension, but just doing sets of five of speed squats with my body weight and then band tension, even like the Patrick steps, ATG split squat, um, all of that stuff. I'm limiting myself to only my body weight just to kind of see like how athletic and how powerful I can get without having to lift a ton of weight. Cause I've been pretty strong before and I'm just kind of curious to see what kind of gains can be made without having to lift a ton of weight. Okay. So if someone's at home and they don't have a, you know, they don't have 500 pounds of weights, they can only have 185 pounds and still get good results just with different exercise selection. Yeah. And I think that's such a cool part about programming, especially once you get past that initial hump of, okay, we've gotten you strong enough to get going. Um, there's so many ways to do it. And there's so many uh, points along the force velocity curve that we can play with. And yeah. It's really fun. Anyways, we just lost about half our audience there. We're talking nerds. I love it. <laughs> Anyways, no, it's good. All right. The only other thing I wanted to mention for the common mistakes is a lot of people, when it comes to volleyball, they go to the gym and think, okay, I need to be explosive. I need to do a whole bunch of jumping on day one because I need to be explosive. And I think we need to just briefly touch on the idea that, yes, we want to be explosive, but there are prerequisites to say we need to be strong to form the foundation of that explosiveness. And we need, like Greg said, landing, like landing impacts are very high. So we need to develop that strength before we can learn to absorb. And when it comes to injuries, we know that so much of it happens when you do too much too soon and high intensity plyometrics, like drop jumps or, you know, just high, uh, high volume plyometrics are a lot of force for your body to deal with. You need to make sure that you're ready for that. And strength is a great way to do that. There's my tangent. <laughs> no, you're totally right. And there's, I mean, it can be taken too far. I know there's some people who say you have to squat double body weight. Oh, that drives me nuts. Exercises. Oh. Yeah. Like I think, I think if you can get to a double body weight squat, that's like great. a good, yeah, like great. That's that's one of my kind of um, sort of secondary goals I have for my college kids. Mm -hmm. It's like let's work you up to a double body weight, like sure. good back squat. And if they get there, great. Like if they don't, that's Not fine too. Um, but to have that as like a prerequisite to do, and I'm I'm assuming those people are meaning like high intense plyometrics, like depth jumps, um, which like I I guess I get where they're coming from of just yeah. being able to like handle that force. But but the forces like, are so different many, too, right? Like. Yeah. Yeah. How, but how many little kids are like just out jumping yeah. off of like jungle gyms or trees, know, and, like literally dropping yeah. out of trees? Yeah. All the time. I mean, our bodies, our bodies can obviously handle that. Um, I don't think it's something where you need to wait that long. Like how many kids are just running and jumping? Yeah. And especially if you look at um, some of the depth jump, like guidelines, they're like, do um, 
you know, the box you jump off of should be 12 to 18 inches. I'm like, well, if I jump 30 inches yeah. now, if I just jump twice, I'm already higher than that. So like, mm-hmm. what, what is the, uh, you know, there's stuff like that where it's like, we'll be okay. You know, yeah, you'll it's be okay. Gonna you be okay. squat double body weight. Yeah, totally. Well, it's a funny thing. It's like, okay, so all 12 year old kids that currently play volleyball whatsoever need to stop and squat double body weight because, you know, otherwise it's just, it's going to fall apart. Right. Yeah. It just doesn't really make a lot of sense. And like, again, I, I understand, like you said, the starting point where we want people strong and the idea being, you know, if for the people at home, the idea is when you jump and land, you have a certain quantity of force that's going through your muscles, tendons, ligaments, bone, and that corresponds to about a double body weight squat. So if you're not up to that point, then you're not ready for jumping. But again, it's it's not that simple. It just doesn't really make sense. Anywho, I think we got that. <laughs> All right, let's get into the interesting stuff. Um, and just to be clear, uh, for those of you at home, Greg and I might not agree with every, uh, each other on everything. And I kind of hope we don't, to be honest, because that's much more interesting sometimes. Um, Absolutely. So we've talked about how important training is for mobility, which is interesting, um, and other things. So let's talk about strength at length and the importance of working full range of motion. Maybe you can just give a sure. precursor there. Yeah. So um, for any of the, the people who are listening who don't know Ben Patrick, who is knees over toes guy, I do a lot of um, just kind of behind the scenes. I, I shouldn't say behind the scenes work. I do his mentoring program. So like I do a lot of stuff with his company, which is athletic truth group. I'm not involved in like his app and like doing his video coaching and stuff like that. But um, I do get a lot of direct information and a lot of my information from him. And one of the big principles of the ATG system is strength through length, which is getting strong while we're getting flexible. So getting strong through the entire range of motion. And this is something that I was kind of like messing with some pieces of this before because he was like, yeah, strength through like length. I'm like, I get it. Um, there was some other guys that I get a lot of information. The guys from Strong Fit, who are extremely intelligent, talk about a weak mu- or a short muscle is a weak muscle. And I was like, okay, like I get it. Like when you say that. But then Ben said on a podcast, he said, um, if you're not strong in the range of motion you're trying to get flexible in, then your body won't let you keep that range of motion. So like, if you're just doing a, if you're sitting down and just doing a, you know, a, a bend and a hamstring stretch, there's always tension, but it's like a lot lower tension. You can spend five minutes there and your ability to touch your toes will increase. But if you don't develop the, the strength in that range of motion, it's just going to go away when you're done because your body doesn't trust that you can go to that range of motion without getting hurt. It needs to know you have the strength there. So like doing a, seated forward bend versus doing a Jefferson curl with 25% of your body weight. Now your body knows that you can safely go through that range of motion without having to worry about, you know, pulling a muscle or something like that. And that is that the one he said that it really kind of clicked for me because that's just how it made sense. Um, why people can sit there and just stretch for so long. And then as soon as you're done, it just goes away. It's because your body doesn't trust that you're not going to injure yourself. Yeah. And I think in, God forbid, we're not going to go down the pain science route because that's a whole other like 12 hour discussion and, and beyond my, my abilities. But uh, the pain science aspects are very interesting too, right? Because that's what you're kind of touching on um, and your brain's ability to say, hey, I, I feel like I need protection at this range versus I feel like I have control. I don't have fear subconsciously at this range. Uh, and there's cool aspects of strength training um, over stretching in which physiologically our muscles change once we have load at length. So we get little bits called circumeres that get added in series, which is super cool. So basically, instead of just stretching uh, throughout the range, you can actually make your muscle muscle physically longer over time. Now, this isn't like a session or a week or even a month. It's quite long, but you're making structural changes as opposed to just a bit of a mind-muscle connection change. See, nerdy tangents. It's my specialty. That's what we need. That's, that's, what uh, we need. that's the that's the best part of of uh, being in the field is going off when your clients are just giving you that blank stare. Yeah, and I'm just like ranting about why they're wasting their money on BCAAs and it's hey. just, 
it's just one, you know, they just, they don't care, but the caffeine hits and you just gotta, you gotta go on your tangent. I feel like I need a bingo card behind me and I need like for our kind of evidence-based coaches and clinicians. I'll, every time we say like BCAs, I'll smack that. And every time we say like knees over toes and spinal flexion and every, every podcast, we'll make sure we need to be at like three quarters away full on each card. Yeah. It's gotta, but it's gotta be in where I can't see it. So I can't just cherry pick. The things that we're going to talk See? about. Yeah. See? You got to do something. Greg's on another level. Greg's on another level. Okay. So let's dive into this idea of strength and length, because I think, well, I know that there's a lot of misconceptions out there about certain, certain uh, movement patterns that people have been told to avoid because they're, they're inherently unsafe. So let's start with the one that you mentioned, which is uh, knees going over your toes. So the idea being when you squat or bend over, your knees are not supposed to uh, translate forward past the projection of your feet. So your knees aren't supposed to go over your toes. Why don't you, why don't you go for that one? Uh, yeah. So this is part of the reason why I went on board with ATG in the first place. And that's because volleyball could not exist without your knees going over your toes. So all you have to do is slow-mo watch anyone jumping or landing or like even passing, um, diving anything like even just sidestepping to pass a ball outside your body line like your knee is probably going over your toe and so the entire concept is we want to train in the patterns that we play our sport in because we are inevitably going to happen into that position if our body is not ready to accept those forces in that position then that's when injury can occur so if we can get stronger in now that's not saying we need to like do everything like, like do weighted passing motions, you know what I mean? Or anything like that. It doesn't need to be that sport specific, but something like a ATG split squat or a Patrick step, or just a deep squat, our knee needs to be strong in that full flexion position because it is going to happen period. Like you can't go through your life without it happening. Try to walk downstairs without your knee going over your toe and see how that works for you. Um, which is, it's funny. There's, there's posts about that where it's like trying to live my life without my knees going over my toes. <laughs> it's they're funny, but that, that was me for years actually like oh, no. on purpose. Yeah. My knees were so bad. I had to, um, basically do like a, a good morning to like stand up from like a chair, like yep. I, cause I couldn't like stand up with a vertical torso. Um, and I had to walk up and downstairs sideways Jeez. and because I had to like bend over to put the load onto my hips because my knees just couldn't handle it. That was in that period where I went from um, not playing college volleyball to, um, you know, doing the CrossFit Olympic lifting where in that world I can just throw on some knee sleeves and, you know, warm up a little bit and it's like good enough. But yeah, um, yeah, it's funny because that was me for a long time. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest benefits I've gotten from ATG, even though I I still get knee pain sometimes, but I can walk up and down stairs, you know, pain free, like, yeah. which is cool. Like that's, that's a lot of the carryover with doing the stuff with just uh, general population is they don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, no, absolutely. Love it. Uh, the other common one uh, is we've got the, the knees over toes idea. The other common one is never flex your low back. So this idea of you know, everyone's seen the, the workplace guidelines where they say, you know, if you pick up a box and your back is bent at all, you get a little mini nuclear explosion coming out of it <laughs> because, you know, that's helpful. Um, right. And maybe I'll start this one. It's the same spoiler alert, same thing. When you go to jump most of the time, especially if you go to jump with, you know, not perfect technique, which most of us do, especially in the recreational league, you're going to have some spinal flexion when you jump, when you pick up something day-to-day life, it's going to happen. Even if you think that you're staying perfectly neutral in your back when you pick something up because you've looked at that little picture on the wall in your warehouse and you've got your back nice and straight, there's a good chance you're not. And that's fine. One of the coolest studies I've seen is they looked at elite powerlifters and they put uh, they put uh, kinematic markers on them. So they were able to track uh, pelvic position and lumbar position when they were doing you know one RM squats and deadlifts. And even to the coach's eye that it which, at which it looked neutral, they were up to like 60, 70 degrees of, of lumbar flexion, which, you know, translation for you guys means they were bending their backs a lot, even though it didn't look like they were. It's not something you can avoid. It's not something that needs to be feared. 
And it's not something that you need to avoid in the gym either. Because like Greg said, if you're going to be exposed to these positions, especially dynamically, we want to make sure that we have some amount of strength and resilience um, when we can control it, like when we're in the gym. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my first, when I first started to kind of get away from this idea was actually watching um, stone loading, like world strongman competitors doing stone loading because you can be in a spinal flex position, but still be braced. So I know a lot of the injuries can occur, especially with those loads. Like if your degree of flexion is changing as you're lifting, that can be more of a mechanism for injury, but at higher loads, you can still be braced in a spinal flex position and move a lot of weight, you know, compare that like to then a Jefferson curl, um, where that is a low load, but you were going like one segment at a time of your spine, working on trying to get stronger in that position. That's obviously going to be a much lower load than, you know, a, I think the, the heaviest stone ever lifted was like 550 pounds a few years yeah. ago at the Arnold. Um, you're not lifting that without rounding your spine period. It's just, it's not happening. Like it's, it's such a, I want to say unnatural position, but it's a supernatural it's position, a right? <laughs> we, we made it an unnatural position by saying a deadlift with a bar at a specific height with a diameter that is the exact fit for our hand is supposed to be a natural position when really lifting a rock is, is a much more natural position. We need to be able to do that. Um, and then just to add on to your point for the specifics of volleyball, if we're looking at the spinal movement for volleyball, you know, say we're going to swing, we're going into extension, we're going into extension and rotation, contacting the point we are actually at generally a neutral spine, and then going into flexion and into rotation the other direction. And I'll, I remember because I was on the only train, the core stability stuff for a while, um, I did that. And then I would go play volleyball and my abs were, and my back were so sore because I had only, yeah, so sore the next day because I had only trained in being really stiff and I had no strength in any kind of rotation, extension, yeah. flexion, anything like that. So it's just the exact same thing. Like you said, being strong in the positions that we are inevitably going to end up in. Yeah. And just for those of you that are following at home that can't see our, our fancy hand diagrams, a Jefferson curl is essentially when you hold a weight in your hands and you let each segment of your back I'm doing my hand thing again. Um, you let each segment of your back bend often very slowly and just incrementally until you're fully bent over almost uh, parallel with your legs, if you're crazy Ben Patrick flexibility. Um, uh, just so we have a nice visual on that. One. Okay. I've got one more before we get into the unilateral stuff. So sure. we've talked about strength at length. That's fantastic. I think we've kind of nailed that one. Um when should we include partial range of motion work? Because I know that you're an advocate for that with things like the, um, uh, the Patrick step, Patrick steps. Yeah. 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 So there's a few of them. yeah. Yeah. So, um, something that I think is people use it, but they don't realize they use it as something that's been given a name by the ATG group, which is, um, the short range exercises and long range exercises. Mm -hmm. So as an example, um, Let's take a RDL is a long range exercise where the most tension is on the muscle when it is um, stretched the most and something like a 45 degree back extension is still a hip hinge movement, but the most tension is on the muscle when you are fully extended. So when you're at the top of the movement, so they're almost opposites in a way, look at like, uh, I mean, the example, the easy one is the Patrick step where we're only training that top end range of motion. So it is a short range exercise where a deep squat or an ATG split squat we are training, or even, even better would be like a sissy squat is almost um, what we call an extreme long range exercise where the hardest part of the movement is at the, the most stretched position of the muscle. Another good example would be a Nordic hamstring curl versus like a standing hamstring curl. So if you've ever done a Nordic, when you're sitting on your knees and your torso is vertical, there's no tension, but then the farther you go forward, the longer, the, the more length of the muscle gets, the harder it gets. Where if you're doing a standing hamstring curl, when your leg is straight, there's no tension. And the closer it gets to your butt is it, it gets harder. And that's the hardest part of the movement. So it's just like the, the strength curve of the movement changes 
um, for two knee flexion exercises, but they train the knee flexion in very different ways. So that's where the, the backwards sled and the Patrick step are really our two knee um, short range exercises. And there's a couple of reasons we do that. One of the biggest reasons is for blood flow and recovery. So the short range exercises don't cause a lot of stress to the system because the muscle is not going through a very large range of motion. So you can do sets of 20 on a Patrick step and it's not really going to make you as sore as if you did 20 deep squats because you're not taking it through the full range. Um, if anybody hasn't seen a Patrick step, it's basically like a, you're standing on a six inch box and you're, you're, you're stepping forward and touching your, your heel to the ground in front of you. It's a very knee over toe dominant movement, but you can do that for a very high amount of reps and get a ton of blood flow into the knee and into the quad without doing a lot of damage. That's going to cause a lot of soreness. And that is one of the, the biggest benefits. And we need to pair those things together. Like you do need to do both short range and long range for, all of the movements to get the most athletic benefit out of any sort of joint movement. Yeah. And the other thing I'd say is uh, specificity when it comes to training, right? So for example, deep squats, great for building resilience over big, big, long range of motion, great for tendons, ligaments, all that good stuff. If I was really focused on my jump temporarily, say that was my big focus, I might do a partial range of motion squat because it, we know there is direct carryover when it comes to uh, the specificity of a movement. So for example, if I'm doing a quarter squat and that mimics how deep I go within my jump, I might get more transference between that exercise and my jumping. If that's my main focus, that's not to say you shouldn't squat to depth if you're a jumper, because it's good for all these health reasons that we talk about or longevity, I should say, but specificity does matter. So this is also like uh, why I've been liking the trap bar lately because, and I'm a, I'm a big conventional deadlifter just because I like it. Um, but, uh, trap bar does with the high handles, especially have a very similar range of motion to jumping, uh, that you could argue would, uh, be better than a conventional if that's your big focus, especially in the, the short time frame. Yeah, I completely agree with that. If you look at, um, the six inch Patrick step, that is a very similar, um, knee angle to a jumping and more. So it, I guess it depends on how tall you are. Maybe more so a single leg jump, um, where maybe for me, like an eight inch would be more like a, a two foot jump, because if you see a single leg jump, the knee bend is much less than a two foot jump. Um, but that's, that's the idea is we're training that specific range of motion. It almost exactly mimics that position. So it's training that specificity, um, which is, you know, good in, in times, like you said, sometimes we should deep squat. And as I take my college kids and we get closer to the season, we are going to get more specific and we will do more half squats and quarter squats because that is going to allow us to use a heavier load, which is going to be more force, which is then going to be more specific in the range of motion to where they're going to jump. So yeah. um, we definitely need both um, for like just various different reasons. Yeah. And like for me, what it comes down to so often is we're not just volleyball players, right? People think, okay, I need to be hyper-specific with everything to which I say, there's life outside of volleyball and you need to make sure that you're ready for that because you know, you don't want to throw it a muscle or throw it a joint or muscle or whatever that doing something that you shouldn't hurt yourself in just because you've never been exposed to that because you only do partial range of motion squats. Now, obviously like injury is much more complicated than that, but I want people to be resilient throughout their entire life and also really cool volleyball players. So there's that distinction that helps. Yeah. If you get hurt doing something where you're not playing volleyball, you still can't play volleyball. Can't play doesn't volleyball. Matter you, <laughs> doesn't matter that you did something. I mean, that's yeah. my, my calf injury was from sprinting. Yeah. I wasn't even training volleyball. Still couldn't play. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, there's how many pulled or torn hammies do we have because of people just doing funky sprinting stuff, right? When they're not ready for it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Let's get into the bilateral unilateral stuff. So for context, this is me showing my, my original upbringing within this sphere. I came from the, the starting strength kind of community and it was squats, bench, deadlift, and maybe some overhead press and some pull-ups. Um, and it was nothing bilateral. Actually, nothing unilateral, I should say. And when I first and definitely started- Definitely no trap bar. 
no trap, trap bar. bar. Oh, no. boys, y'all. <laughs> oh, rip. Oh, rip. Um, and the way, the only way I can explain this is you think you're fine until you try unilateral training and realize that you're really not um, because it is just so entirely different. And the, the original argument with the bilateral stuff is, hey, if I can get stronger on two legs, my, my individual leg is getting stronger too, which is true, especially when you're new. But the physical demands and the coordination between unilateral exercises and activities are much different than bilateral. So for example, and I'll always tell this story because it's hilarious. Uh, I've got a friend who's a powerlifter that we train together. And one day I got him to do some split squats for the first time. This was a couple of years back. I'm like, oh, we'll just, you know, we'll warm up and we'll try some. And this guy can squat like 600 pounds without much trouble. And he just went into a split squat position and we got him set up and he got about this deep and made the funniest sound I have ever heard in my entire life. It was a combination of just pure panic and surprise. It was like, and it just shows how strength is so specific and range of motion is so specific and you can't not be strong or at least have some exposure to unilateral stuff. If you want to play unilaterally, that's my prelude. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole sport. Like it, it, it's more bilateral than like sprinting where you're only ever on one foot. But even if you just look at um, the forces applied to your body, when you jump. So when you are doing a two foot approach, you're always, your last two steps are going to be angled generally towards your setter, right? Unless you're like a left-handed right side or something like that, or a right-handed right side, whatever your feet might face the opposite way. They're not going, they're not forward. They're not facing forward, right? So now when you take your second last step, your foot is planting and all of that force is coming medially into your knee, into your hip. And then you get your block foot and all that force is going from medial to lateral and the forces that are applied to your legs are completely different. And you'll notice that um, a lot of times the, the pain that people experience is in kind of the same leg. I feel like more often the, the block step, the very last step is where people get more pain because that's really stopping your momentum and getting you upwards. So like the lateral aspect of your block foot um, takes on a lot of force. And so even though it's a, the jump itself is a bilateral movement, the forces that are applied to it are different on each leg. And that's just, um, just the jumping example. Then we get into like the landing example. Yeah. And how often do you actually land on two feet with like good landing mechanics, which I'll let you know when I see somebody do it. Yeah. Yeah, It doesn't happen in volleyball. And that's because we have to reach and when you reach now your shoulders kick and your hips kick out and, and you're going to land on one leg because your body's got to contort. And that's just, if it's a good set, as soon as it's a bad set, right. You have to be able to take those forces on a single leg basis um, because you're, that's just how you're going to end up like period, end of story. Like you will land on one leg more often than you will land on two legs in the actual sport that you play. Well, there you go, folks. So let's let's make this practical. Um, training, it, training is never a singular factor, right? So there's a hundred different things that go in to how we program, how we approach programming, and how it changes over time. And that's just if we look at you know within a season for your for your collegiate guys. And that gets infinitely more complicated when we take into account like an individual person with their own pains and preferences and all that kind of stuff. But in general, what kind of splits do you use when it comes to like unilateral versus bilateral? Let's just say for squatting. Yeah. So right now um, we have three full body workouts that I do. And then the ones that my guys do, I'll I'll use my college team is a little bit different, um, but it's basically the same. So I do because I am kind of advanced through my own program. Uh, my Monday is the Patrick step or one of the reverse step up variations. Um, Wednesday I do the ATG split squat or I'm going to transition. I think maybe next week into the Hatfield split squat, which I love from Cal Um, and then Friday I squat heavy. I have them switch 
the um, the heavy squat to Wednesday um, in triphasic training. Wednesday is the heavy day, and so I want them to have their their back squat on the heavy day, as well as the fact that I am not with them on Fridays. So I want to be there when they squat heavy on Wednesdays because it's important and it's fun. <laughs> like I like yeah. to be there. So I right now I do my um, my short range on Monday with the Patrick step. I do my long range on Wednesday with the ATG split squat. And then I do my heavy squats on my day three, which is like Friday, Saturday, kind of depending on when I can get in there. Cool. Yeah. Love it. I, I think it's just useful to talk about how, how these things look in real life. So nice to have a visual. Yeah. All right, um, I'm going to, I'm going to add one more thing to that. Go um, and I think we'll get this when we get into the plyometrics yeah. and that's the idea of jump balance mm. um, where this is so I went through the issue when I was in school and I know the strength conditioning coach talked to me about this issue when I was in school, one of the GAs of like, well, you're a volleyball player and you're jumping all of the time anyway. So how much jump volume, like, do we really put on you in the weight room? Um, and that was, I was like, well, that's a really good question. Jump balance is by far the best answer I've found to that. And so what jump balance is, is actually comes from basketball from um, Ben Patrick, which is learning to dunk on all four plants. So I'm left-handed. Um, so my volleyball approach is always going to be a left-right plant for so most jealous, people. They are. To be clear, so jealous. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the only reason I got offered to play in college is because I'm left-handed. Like I'm <laughs> just going to put that out there. Um, most people who are right-handed are going to be a right-left approach. Right. And, but you almost never do the other one. Sometimes when you block, when you block one direction versus the other, you switch but we never jump on one leg unless you're a uh, mostly girls team. You'll, you'll run a slide and then you're only jumping off of your left leg. But the idea of jump balance is to work on all four of those plants. So do jumps with a right, left plant, do jumps with a left, right plant, do jumps only off your right leg and do jumps only off your left leg. And what that does is it balance out those forces that we were talking about. So you're never really going to make up for like, 15 years of jumping the same way. Exactly. But it'll make you feel a lot better. Um, and it'll help expose those weaknesses. So if you can take, you know, for your, your main approach is going to be your highest, maybe your other three are five to six inches lower. If you can get those within two and three inches lower, that's going to help boost up your regular approach as well, because now you're developing the unilateral strength and you're balancing out the forces on the two leg strength. So when it comes to like how much jump volume do we put on volleyball players, you can probably do quite a lot if you just do it outside of what they typically jump. You can do a lot more than you may expect. That's a cool way to get around the the overuse injury or the overuse aspects of jumping. It's smart like that. Um, I think it's cool just to be a versatile athlete too, right? Like there's something to be said about um, just being proficient in multiple we, we, we say like ranges of motion and planes of motion, but if we're talking about plyometrics, just different aspects of uh, your approach. So that's really cool. Yeah, I actually use that um, as like actual dunking practice to mm-hmm. as my jumping workouts. So it was like, you know, going through all four plants, being able to dunk with both hands. And that was my, not only was it um, my plyometric workout, but I got to learn a new skill. Yep. So it was like becoming a better overall athlete. Cause I think one of the biggest things, of like, are you athletic is how well can you pick up different sports quickly? Yep. And I think that was like kind of a cool, like fun little test for that as well. It, it got to teach me a new skill and it also got to teach me to just jump higher in general. Yeah. No, I love it. All right. Let's, we, we've touched on this a little bit, um, but I want to, I'd be, I'd be remiss not to mention mobility work and specificity when it comes to this. Um, the, the part that I want to dive into, because we've talked about injury risk and that kind of stuff and how we can get strength at length through different ways. But when it comes to your volleyball players, are there certain movement patterns that you include in your training that would be kind of called mobility work um, that's worth mentioning? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we do quite a lot of that because that idea of strength through length is implementing a lot of the mobility and the flexibility into the resistance training, because you do want to get it stronger while you build that range of motion. The ATG split squat is the go-to example for that. So if anybody's never seen this, it's basically 
take a regular split squat, but your front knee is going as far over your toe as you can. And your back leg is staying as straight as you can. So what that becomes is a really big stretch on the back leg hip flexor. And so um, that is, is probably the best. I mean, I put that, I have people do that and a couch stretch on separately and that gets you some really, really good hip flexor benefits. Um, things like um, just an, even a regular RDL, but like a Jefferson curl is going to be included in there. Um, one of the biggest limiting factors for people for their squatting is their calves. So if you include your calf flexibility in your calf strength work and you go through like a full range of motion to the point where you're flexing your tibialis at the bottom of the calf raise, now you're going to develop the flexibility as well as developing the strength. And then you have the strength through that full range of motion. One of the most intense things is like doing single leg calf raises on a slant board will it'll mess you up for a couple Nasty. days. If you, it's, it's bad. It's, it's to the point where I haven't even gotten back to doing that since my injury, because I'm like a little worried that it's going to put me out for a few days. Um, yeah, we do. But it's like, God, no, I was going to say, we do like single leg supported just on the rack. We'll have people hold onto the rack so they don't fall over and feel like they can get a bit more range, um, both thirsty and planner, but yeah, they're, mm. they're nasty, nasty, nasty. Yeah. The slant board's awesome. Um, that's a tool that, that is great for developing the mobility. If you do the Jefferson curls on a slant board, if you do calf raises on a slant board or even tibialis raises on a slant board are super hard. And that's a good example of the short range versus long range. So if you do a tibialis raise on the floor where you're leaning back against the wall and you're just picking your toes up, that is a short range where it's the hardest at the top. As soon as you get on a slant board, it becomes a long range exercise where it's hardest at the bottom because getting out of that full plantar flexion is super difficult. Oh, um, I see what you mean. Yep. Yeah. So it's the same thing. You're like standing on the top of the slant board and going, it's like you're going into full plantar flexion and then lifting your foot. Um, it's this, the same difference of using a tib bar. So a yeah. tib bar is a long range tibialis exercise. Cause the hardest part, you know, when you're at the top, there's no tension, but when you're at the, at the most extended position, that's most of the tension. So it's, it's just including the, the mobility into a lot of the exercises. But then I also um, have a few specific stretches that I do like volleyball players to do. The couch stretches one. I lunge where your back foot is elevated. I just think it's phenomenal. Um, we can talk about the my thoughts on the psoas in relation to back pain. Um, I think is worth noting. Um, that I do that. I do a pigeon pose. Um, I do like a groin stretch, whatever kind of groin stretch you like, and then thoracic rotation. Um, I like, uh, my volleyball athletes to be able to get like with one hand on the ground, to be able to get like full extension where your arms are now perpendicular up above each other, like a basically 90 degrees of rotation, um, through the thoracic spine, just so you know, you can open up to be able to swing really well. Yeah. That's worth diving into for a second. I'm just taking like as many little things I can, because we're, I I do want to get into the plyometrics. I'm sure cognizant of time too, but when it comes to volleyball and our ability to open up. So the idea is our thoracic, which is our upper back has a lot of capability of rotation left to right. And if we're trying to open up to a hit, which we need to do to be powerful and let the arm kind of do its thing, as opposed to kind of forcing through the arm then we need to be able to open up, um, in training. And especially for my recreational um, kind of older crowd that doesn't get a huge amount of exposure to volleyball, maybe we play once or twice a week at most. We need, it's nice to have some other exposure to that range, just because when you go and, you know, go to your Tuesday night beer league and, you know, you might warm up, you might not, and you start trying to crank into that big rotation, it's not going to feel fantastic, especially for the first couple swings. Um, if you haven't really been practicing that range, it's just not something we get a lot of exposure to day to day life. Uh, and typical training doesn't really give us a lot of exposure either. So yeah, totally agree on that one. Yeah. Big rotation isn't something we typically do. Like maybe if you're turning around to back out of a driveway yeah, that's and you're, you're going in one direction Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's really it. And then if you can't open up to rotate, now you're swinging through your shoulder, you're going to get shoulder pain. Yeah. You're probably locked up. Maybe you have back pain. It's just, um, it's one of those things that I, I think is, yeah. is crucial. So I like to have that landmark of like that 90 degrees of rotation for people to be able to get to. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and then you mentioned the, uh, the groin. I, I like something like a simple Cossack squat or like mm-hmm. a Copenhagen plank 
uh, reps. But all right, let's do the fun stuff because sure. it's fun. Biometrics, what everyone really came here for. Um, what Got kind fire. of yeah? What kind of plyometrics? Uh, do you, how do you categorize your plyometrics? I guess in your brain, like how do you what what boxes do you check when you make a program? Yeah, so um, I like to start like the, the way that I do my program personally, like for my, my people who purchase my program online, it starts with just one day of plyometrics and it is primarily focused on two things. One thing is jump balance. And then the other one is a self depth jump progression mm-hmm. where you're basically, we can, we can jump higher on two legs than we can on one. Right. So you, the final thing is you jump as high as you can off of two legs, land on one leg and then jump again off of that one leg. And so it's, it's mimicking the forces of sports of you're jumping really high, but then being able to absorb that force and then redirect it back up. Um, so it's like a depth jump that doesn't require any equipment. Love it. And so there's a progression we work through through that. So I like to have the jump balance. I like to have some kind of depth jump and then just a low intensity, um, like ankle stiffness. I always like to have that in, in there as well. Um, I like pogo jumps personally. I always po- call them pogo hops, and I understand that that is technically incorrect. <laughs> Me too. I'm, in, I'm, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about here, and I feel bad every time somebody posts them. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not right, but I'm going to keep saying it. You're gonna I'm keep still going to say it. People asking me um, a lot about jump rope for volleyball. Mm. I think it is beneficial if you if you use it correctly. Um, if you're just sitting there like mindlessly jumping, it's going to have less benefit. Other than if, if you're conscious of like creating the ankle stiffness and actually jumping high, I think that has more benefit. Like I think double unders had a, have a better carryover to athletic performance than just like regular jumping rope. But that's why I like the pogo hop is because we can just say get as high as you can without letting your heel ever touch the ground, keeping your ankle as stiff as you can and learning to build that co-contraction um, in the lower leg is super important. So I'll do like, you know, phase one, we just do pogo jumps phase two. Maybe we do like side to side pogo jumps or forward backward pogo jumps. And then phase three, we kind of put it all together. Um, if you follow Paul favorites, I, I knew he has a, yeah. yeah, <laughs> I was going to say I, I PGF. Love, he's, he's been posting that drill a ton. And I started doing that where you jump onto the plate. Yeah. So you like jump forward to a plate, jump back, jump laterally, jump onto another plate, jump backwards. Um, he's been posting about that quite a bit. And I really like that. I started using that. Um, because it's taking all of these qualities of the calf raises, the tibialis raises, everything like that, the strength that you're building. And now you're applying that to something that's actually athletic. And so I'm not doing it with one leg because for me, that's still really scary, but I've just been progressing with two legs and getting ready to do it on one leg. And that's sort of taking it and putting all of the pieces together of like, you can get really strong, but can you transfer that to real athleticism? Yeah. Well, as soon as you said skipping, all I could think of, Paul has a post. He says, uh, yeah, I love skipping. Just get rid of the rope. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it just kind of gets in the way. It can throw off your rhythm. Yeah. Can it, it hurts. Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So just to kind of cover the boxes, like I love a jump balance. I love a depth jump and I love some kind of, um, just the lower intensity, the faster, like low height ankle stiffness type of stuff. And I think that really, covers most of the the boxes that we actually need yeah that we need for volleyball yeah i'm pretty similar i'm the way i've been thinking about lately especially is low intensity i call it rhythmic or elastic work like low intensity elastic work um higher intensity explosive reactive work like those drop jumps and then maybe some kind of multi-directional aspects within those but same kind of boxes for sure absolutely Um, great all right. Contrast training. I'm so sure. interested to hear about this stuff uh, from yeah. your perspective. So, okay. For the, let's just bring it in piece by piece. So contrast training and or complex training, because I've seen different definitions here and mm-hmm. I'm not really too worried about the definitions to be honest. Um, for people that are just getting exposed to this stuff, the simple version is repairing exercises to get the most effect and the pairing gets what's called a post-activation potentiation effect, which means through a bunch of nerdy chemical stuff, uh, when you do a first exercise, you get your nervous system firing a bit more intensely. And then the second exercise, you have a bit more um, 
potential to execute that. So for example, if I do a back squat relatively heavy, and then I do either a short or a long wait period, depending on what you're doing, I can jump higher because I've got that neural priming effect. And I've seen, Greg, I've seen some of your stuff where you post uh, different complexes and French contrast training falls into this for anybody that's familiar with that kind of stuff. So maybe we can just go down that rabbit hole a little bit there. Yeah. So one of the things that I've been doing a lot is I finally went through and read triphasic training by Cal Dietz, mm. um, where I had, I had heard about triphasic training in maybe 2016 or 2017. And I was upset that I had not heard about it sooner when I was actually one, either a college athlete or two training college athletes. And I'd never heard of this before. Um, but through his different phases, which is actually not even the, the triphasic stuff, he does a lot of, of the contrast complex training. So, I mean, if, if we like really get into it, I don't do a lot of contrast training, which is like where you do something heavy and then you do a drop set of the same exercise and do it lighter. I like the complex training because that is where the plyometrics are. So some examples, what I've been doing lately has been pairing the heavy exercise with a similar looking plyometric exercise. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the obvious one is back squat and squat jumps, right? They're they're the same movement. One of them has some load and one of them has either no load or very little load or like a Patrick step with a um, plyometric step up or like a single leg jump or like a split squat with a scissor jump you know, things like that, where, like you said, the squat is going to really get the the muscles, the nervous system firing super well. And then now that translates to a higher output on the jump. Um, I am just introducing this to my college kids as well. I'm super excited. These guys, they're going to have, they're retesting their vertical in um, three more weeks. And I'm, I'm so pumped for the results these guys are going to get because they've been putting on some really good work. And then just for the, the French contrast training is basically you take those and you put them together. So you do something heavy, like 80 to 90% heavy. You do a plyometric exercise. Then you do either a drop set or you do a separate weighted exercise. And then you do another plyometric or like an accelerated plyometric exercise. So like a, an accelerated plyometric would be like a band assisted jump or like a downhill sprint. Um, and so you're just combining, you're like taking those two and you're just putting them together. And that would be the French contrast, which I, I, I really like. Um, it's also like a lot of work depending on what you oh, yeah. do for your, your rest periods. Like that's like some, almost some a big conditioning day. type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I did single leg French contrast training the other day. So it was like four, I did everything in three. I reduced it three Patrick step on each or three ATG split squat on each leg three scissor jumps on each leg, three Bulgarian weighted jumps on each leg, and then three Bulgarian unweighted jumps on each leg. And it was... It sounds like murder. Uh, it was like some conditioning. Yeah, yeah. it was difficult. Um, but I enjoyed it. I, I feel like personally I'm getting some good results with yeah. that right now. I'm excited to test my vertical, maybe at least just my standing vertical in the next few days just to yeah. see where I am post-injury. Yeah, so here's, here's the qualifier in this stuff. Number one is unless you're pretty advanced in your training, you don't need to do this stuff. If you want to, that's great. But, you know, um, major in the minors or what is it? Don't major in the minors. You know what I mean? Do the basics. It's late. Um, The second thing is I was really curious about this from a research standpoint. So I looked into it a little bit and there are some research reviews and there's a meta-analysis that Schoenfeld put out um, recently, which was super cool. And at the end of it, they said, yeah, it's in terms of the the complex work, it's as good as doing plyometric apart from resistance training. It might be better. We're not sure yet. And that's pretty much where they got to. Uh, It looked like it was much better than doing no plyometrics, obviously. Um, But the the fuzzy line in between doing plyometrics apart from um, your strength work as opposed to combined not really sure in terms of long-term outcomes. But what I took away from that is, hey, it works just as well. It's a ton of fun. And in the short term, you get to jump higher because you have the post-activation potentiation effect. So if you're looking for something to switch up your programming or just getting a new stimulus, it's not going to hurt by any means. It could be better in a good way. So 
I'll, I'll throw one other potential benefit in that yeah. is that when I'm training my, my college kids, I only have an hour with them. So if I can utilize that hour better by having them pair the exercises and that saves us some more time for the total training, then that is just an additional benefit where now I don't have to take long rest periods on each individual plyometric set for maybe two or three exercises and long rest periods in my squats because those rest periods are now kind of more combined together. So it can be a more time efficient way to do things as well. That is massive. And I'm, and I know that's a massive factor when it comes to the, uh, the recreational population too, because not a lot of people have time to train because Hey, life gets in the way. Oh, that was a lot. I think that's a good place to stop it just because a, you can hear the baby in the background. She's getting fussy. Yes. It's just, you know, fun. It's great. Um, and B we've, uh, we've probably at least glossed over a bunch of our audience because we've nerded it out in a fun way, but uh, it's a good point. Stop. Greg, where can people get a hold of you if they want to follow along with what you're doing or your content or check out your online programs? Yeah. So um, my biggest place I post is on Instagram and that is at the volleyball strength coach. Um, it's periods in between each word. I'll post it below. Um, and then I am on TikTok. I don't, it's all, it's all cross posted. Um, that was a whole, that's just a bad choice. Um, and then I do have a Facebook page. Again, everything is cross posted. So the, the place you'll get the majority of my information is from my Instagram page. Perfect. Um, and in terms of the programs, same thing, check out Lincoln bio, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So right now I just have my one program called volleyball ability, which is an online program where, um, basically I, everyone gets the same workout. Um, it's not like an individualized program, but I do do form coaching and I do, um, have like the instructional videos on everything. I'm, I'm working on a couple things. I'm thinking about just completely redoing that program, um, and adding some, some things. And I'm also in consideration of doing just a vertical jump program because, um, I want something that's maybe a little bit more of an advanced program where volleyball ability is set up where, uh, regardless of training age and regardless of equipment available, you can do it. And I think it would be cool to have something that's a little bit more advanced for a higher training age and maybe like access to a full gym. I think it would be cool to have something where um, those people can have like a separate program to follow. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Love it. All right. For all of you that made it through all the way, congratulations. Round of applause. And uh, Greg has been fantastic. Ton of awesome takeaways. And I think uh, people are going to get a lot from this one. Appreciate you coming on. And for everyone else, we'll see you next time. Take care, guys.